Mergers and acquisitions activity has increased dramatically. What's driving that trend? What do you need to know? And how can you profit from it? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. The Protect Plans are proud to sponsor this episode of Shift Shapers in honor of brokers like you. Brokers committed to bringing their clients cutting-edge healthcare coverage. The Protect Plans are safe and simple, fixed-cost, self-funded medical coverage with wellness and transparency built in. Learn more at www.protectplans.info. In today's news against the backdrop of Aetna's proposed purchase of Humana, there's been a lot of interest and a lot of discussion in mergers and acquisitions and roll-ups and, and such, and it's not confined only to large carriers. There's an awful lot of that going on in the brokerage space as well. And so we're pleased to welcome Brett Rosen, Brett's Executive VP of Mergers and Acquisitions at Digital Insurance. And I don't know anybody who knows more about this space than Brett does. So with that, welcome, Brett. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. There's been a lot of action going on generically before we kind of drill down into some of the specifics. What are some of the drivers when we get an uptick in, in mergers, acquisitions, roll-ups, et cetera? What drives that? That's a great question. There's a number of factors that drive M&A activity. One is specifically in the in the employee benefit space has been increasing complexity and all the change that has been coming down the pike at you know what has traditionally been a mom and pop industry. And all that change is hard for an employee benefits consultant to get their arms around uh, as a business leader. So joining a team and having more people alongside you, helping you run your business has definitely been a major driver. There's also been commission compression and carriers focusing on the largest agencies. Uh, There's been a lot of activity from private equity firms uh, and other buyers that have access to capital at a very low cost, which has been driving prices up, which uh, certainly helps drive activity. So it's really a combination of external factors out in the industry and and, in the business climate in general, as well as issues specific to sellers. So I could really go on 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 this one for a long time. So guide me as to to how long you'd like me to talk about Um, it. I'm I'm sure you could. There's there's loads of of background. Well, let me let me ask you a question. Uh, There's always been M&A activities. I mean, I've been in the business 32 years. There's always been this kind of stuff. How much is PACA responsible, is ACA responsible for driving an increase in that? I know you, you touched on complexity. Are there other issues that in, in the AC, post-ACA universe have lit the fire, so to speak? No, that's a great question. And the, and the reason is I think there's a perception that the ACA has created a lot more merger activity than it, it actually has. It's interesting. I, I, there was a segment of brokers that sold fairly quickly after the ACA was passed in the small group segment, you know, brokers who focused in the small group segment who really just wanted to take their chips off the table and, and make sure that uh, they didn't get left high and dry if small group went away. And that didn't happen, but it did result in in some merger uh, and acquisition activity. But it, I believe it's really more the general trends of consolidation, 
uh, the complexity of the business and increase, and particularly increasing competition, which isn't something that I mentioned in after the first question you asked, which is a, a, clearly a driver of consolidation activity. It is so competitive out there and it is really hard to invest in all the tools and services that you need to grow a successful business in today's environment on your own. And the other element of that is the fact that most of the folks in our business have been doing it for a while. The average agency owner, you see different numbers, but somewhere in the 55, 56 range. And folks who've been doing it for a long time aren't really looking to make major investments in the business. So when you're you're 55, 56 years old or, or somewhere in that neighborhood and the industry is getting more complex and it's getting a lot more competitive and you've got to make a decision about whether or not you're going to continue to invest in the future or perhaps sell and let others make those investments both in you and in the tools and resources that are needed, it starts to make selling or aligning your firm with another very attractive. So it's really that combination of uh, of factors that's driving the activity. Uh, I, I would put the ACA probably, it's definitely one of the factors adding to the complexity, but it, I don't think it's driving anybody out of the business. In fact, more and more, we're, we believe that the ACA is is really helping strengthen the broker model because th- that complexity has led to the need for better advice. Well, that's interesting. You know, a lot of times when we think about mergers and acquisitions, we have this kind of caricature or cartoony view in our head of big giant company A coming in, swallowing up teeny tiny company B and putting people on the street. From the conversation we've had so far, it doesn't sound like that's always the case or maybe that that's rarely the case. What does the transaction look like when, if I'm a, if I'm a small agency owner and I decide to use some of the things that you've touched on is, you know, increasing complexity and increasing competition. If I decide that I want to merge with some other folks, what does that look like at ground level? Yeah. At ground level, it looks, or it should look really favorable for the seller because we are an an industry that is driven by relationships and by talent. But even if you're a Fortune 500 buyer, the fact of the matter is you need those frontline people in that agency in order to uh, retain the business. And you need those sales pipelines from the local folks in order to grow the business. So it really does have to be a partnership. It's not a business that lends itself well to a corporate raider mentality where you throw a bunch of money at a, a seller and then you reduce the cost structure by laying a bunch of people off and integrating it into, into the home office. It just doesn't work that way. There are some synergies, uh, of course, in a, a sale or in, in an acquisition. But the fact of the matter is, is that's usually the administrative piece. It's systems, it's the finance, it's licensing, marketing, and, and a lot of the back office. But it's not um, the core of the cost structure, which is the talent in that office. So it really is an industry that lends itself very well to a great partnership uh, post either sale or or purchase because everyone really needs each other. And that makes it, I think, a really positive environment. In fact, you know, just personally, I wouldn't enjoy my job at all if the objective was to look for businesses we can buy and then cut costs to the greatest extent possible. It's really about building a team for the future and making sure everybody's positioned to succeed. So it's about marrying the local talent with the home office talent so that everybody is is positioned more effectively going forward. 
So let's take a look at it from the other side of the binoculars, if you will. If I'm in that same situation and a merger doesn't make sense, but I'm thinking, you know, I'm in my 40s, maybe I'll do this another 5, 10 years, and and then maybe I want to sell. I know we talked offline about there being a couple of different sets of criteria, both objective and subjective, of how agencies are valued. Can you take us through those? Absolutely, yeah. If you're, um, you know, you're not ready to sell yet, but you know you might want to sell someday, which most folks will. There are a number of things you can do to make sure you're on a path to building the most valuable entity that you can. The factors that really play into the value of the business are first and foremost, the composition of the book of business. You know, what do the customers look like? What are the size of the customers? Is there a nice spread of risk? So for example, if you have a million dollar book of business and you have a quarter to half of that tied up in a few accounts, there's a lot of risk involved from the buyer side. So it's going to dilute the value to some degree. So you want to have a nice, well-rounded composition of your book of business. Your recent growth rate and your pipeline are very helpful to achieving the best purchase price. The quality of your people and your reputation are paramount to making sure that you have folks who, who want to buy you. So Really building that reputation, maintaining your ethics and not taking shortcuts is a great way to create a business with long-term value. The leadership of the business is crucial. And in fact, if you're young and you sell, you're probably going to be that leader going forward and you're probably selling and joining a firm because you want to have partners in in leading that uh, office or agency going forward. But if you're a little bit on the older side and you're thinking about retiring, it's very helpful as a seller to uh, have a great second in command or management team below this, you know, the C team and then the the next layer of management to make sure that you have that succession plan in place. So it's very clear to the buyer what they're going to do and and how things are going to work if you do leave, because it's scary as a, as a buyer, if you've got a shop that's the value has clearly been driven by one or two people And if you wonder if they're going to leave, you're not sure what you're getting because the fact of the matter is if those folks leave, it's still a very easy business for clients to move. You can be fired before you even knew you were fired. You find out in your next commission statement. So that's that can be a very scary place to be for a buyer. So you want to make sure that you've got a team in place that uh, is going to be there or you know who's going to be there and that they have relationships with the clients and that that those clients are loyal to the uh, to the team. And of course, the service talent throughout the uh, shop is, is very important. A couple other things would be, you know, whether or not you can recruit if you're going to be a hub agency in a region and you know a lot of people and you're highly respected in the industry, that's going to help drive value because the fact of the matter is you're going to need to recruit on behalf of, of the uh, new entity going forward. And then last but not least, something you really can't control, but you can look for as a seller is what are the buyer's needs? Um, there are probably buyers out there that aren't in your geography today or might not uh, have the talent that you have today or the resources that you have today. And if you can find someone who needs what you have, that's a really good thing. So off the top of my head, those are the things I can think of. And if you give me a few secs, I could probably think of some more, but I'm sure. I'll, uh, I'll take a breath. Okay. Well, I mean, in a nutshell, it sounds like if, if you think you might want to sell someday and you might want to increase the value of your firm, the best thing that you can do or best things that you can do are the things that you would do anyway to build your firm. Is that uh, is that a fair statement? I think that's a fair statement for some of the population. 
it brings up a good point is, is what are you building and why are you building it is a really important question that, believe it or not, not every business owner has answered. There are a lot of folks who are not investing in the infrastructure of their business because they really see themselves as a sole proprietor, a producer, account manager, or, or a traditional agent. And they're thinking much more about building their income as opposed to building uh, an entity that they're going to sell someday. And if there's one piece of advice I could give to anybody who's uh, uh, a business owner is to really understand why they're building their business and then to, to act accordingly. I, I find, and it's, um, uh, it's, it's not uh, um, ideal, is I'll talk to a lot of people who want to sell their business, but they really don't, they haven't created the maximum value that they could because they, they probably took too much out of the business, didn't invest enough in it. And so they don't have um, really enough offer in terms of infrastructure and future uh, capacity and capability. Um, uh, where on the other hand, there are some owners who set out to very intentionally build a robust infrastructure and a business that would really operate um, just as well without them because of the level of the you know, the second in command and the other people there. And it's, you know, so it's, did I build an, am I, did I build or am I building my income stream, which is a little bit riskier, um, but there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of lifestyle reasons to do that. It's just, you just don't create the same value that you do when you really think about and invest in um, building your business as an entity that's going to have equity value someday, which candidly might have a lot more value than building that income. So if you can Think about yourself as building an entity with equity value. You're going to behave a lot differently in terms of, of how you choose to invest in the business. And now a word from our sponsor. In today's environment, if you're not adapting, you're not succeeding. Yesterday's solutions aren't always enough for today's health insurance clients. That's why it's important for you to bring something new to the table. The Protect plans are a safe and simple fixed-cost, self-funded medical coverage program. The Protect plans boast a strong national PPO network from Aetna, and they feature proven quality administration and AM-best A-rated excess loss carriers. But the Protect plans go further. Their wellness program pays employees to complete a biometric screening and for managing their chronic conditions. The program's transparency tool provides employees with the quality and pricing data on in-network facilities they need to be smarter medical care consumers. And the Protect Plan's unique expense review program helps make sure claims are paid fairly and appropriately. All of this has one aim, to help you deliver a healthier, more productive workforce, stable rates, and the kind of creative solutions your clients need in a changing world. Learn more at www.protectplans.info. Let's take a different tack. Let, let's say that we're on the other side of the mergers and acquisition side, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm a small agency, and I want to purchase another firm, uh, and I, I want to go out and start, you know, thinking about doing that. Yes. What are the key things that I need to be thinking about and that I need to be looking at, other than obviously the, the value proposition? Okay, so if you want to be a purchaser, you really need to understand and you really need to be a strategist and you really need to understand why you're making the purchase. And if the reason is to get big, there's a lot of, um, and for rightly so, there's the belief that you probably need to 
be bigger going forward to survive and create some economies of scale and sharing costs and, and do all that. But just acquiring for the sake of getting bigger without understanding the specific ways in which being bigger will help you. So to say, okay, if I make this purchase or if we do this merger, we will specifically do X, Y, and Z. For example, we'll specifically get more commissions from a key carrier in our market. We'll combine together and we'll invest in a new agency management tool. We'll invest in the services of uh, an ERISA attorney. I would highly recommend if you're a purchaser or someone who's even considering merging with maybe a like-size agency to have those clearly thought out and, and diagram before you make the move rather than saying, hey, I like this person. We'd be great business partners. We'll be better together and we'll get all these advantages, but we'll figure out what those advantages are after. I would recommend not doing that because they might not materialize the way that, that you thought they might. So I would recommend really understanding why you're a purchaser. Um, I would also plan for it to be a lot more time consuming and harder than you thought it was to make those acquisitions. And I would recommend that you understand who in your agency is going to take on that role of the operational integration, because a lot of issues come up that you don't expect to come up. You know, there's a laundry list of things. You know, you have people who might not be happy and might leave. The systems might not work well together. You got to, might have to change your brand. Clients might not like things. You might need to spend a lot more time with them, explaining to them why you did what you did. So there's a tremendous amount of work that is created when you make a purchase or you merge. So I would recommend um, really becoming an expert in what those things might be before making a move and not flying by the seat of your pants on it. Do you think from a 20,000 foot standpoint that the days of the mom and pop agency are, are coming to an end? I think that they are in the 100 plus life space. I think it's really hard to hold on to those cases that were your neighborhood friend or your brother-in-law or your country club buddy. Those days of being able to hold on to that case because of relationship are over, but there are still a lot of cases in that position and but declining rapidly. And so I think the mom and pop business is steadily declining and maybe even accelerating in the 100 plus life space. I think under 100 lives, if you've got maybe a financial planning practice that does some benefits, you'll still be in pretty good shape. The risk is probably more market by market, David. So you might be in a market that pays great commissions under 100 lives, but you might not be. And so it, it really is geographic based and how this is playing out for the, the mom and pop. And so it's hard to answer. It's not a one size fits all answer, but uh, over 100 lives across the country, mom and pop quickly is uh, dissipating under 100 lives. It's definitely getting more competitive, but I don't see mom and pop going away by any means. Brett, we've got just about a minute left. We usually like to ask all of our podcast guests what they see in the future from their perspective and as, as their subject matter expertise would, would dictate. What do you see in the near and, and medium and long term? I see continued M&A activity in the short term and the medium term. And the longer term is hard to know just based on you know, how fast things move. But I do expect to see really, you know, for me, it's great, great activity. People are always willing to talk about the future. The current trends of complexity, I don't see going away. There's so many moving parts you know, I don't think a day goes by where I don't see a new piece of technology that would be interesting and helpful to our customers, but we can't 
implement new technology every day and continue to evolve, but we got to keep moving fast. The need to have more resources to deal with that complexity is crucial. I see competition continuing to increase. It's amazing how many really strong competitors that are out there. And it also doesn't cease to amaze me how easy it is to um, now, you know, you can communicate with anybody in the world on a moment's notice. If you can get them to open your email, listen to your podcast, listen to your, uh, take your phone call and uh, data is so available. So this, I mean, the level of comp- of uh, competition is just, it's incredible today. And, and I think it's going to continue to accelerate. So you're just going to have to be absolutely on top of your game in every way, shape or form from your ability to form relationships to your ability to deliver fantastic customer service and terrific solutions is just, it's going to continue to accelerate. So where that ends, I'm not really sure. I just know that it's not getting easier. I know that we're going to continue to probably do more work for a little bit less money as we go forward because of the level of complexity, level of competition, and and the need to continue to invest in our business to stay ahead. That's a great place to leave our conversation for today. Brett, we hope you'll come back. Brett Rosen, Executive Vice President of Mergers and Acquisition at Digital Insurance. Brett, thanks so much for sharing your expertise with our audience. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of the Saltzman Group. We work with entrepreneurs, executives, and companies just like you to help shape the shifts in your business. To schedule a 20-minute call to learn more, visit our website at thesaltzmangroup.com or call me directly at 803-386-8005. I'd love to hear from you. And while you're on our site, you can also click the podcast tab for the entire catalog of Shift Shapers episodes and to access some really great special offers. Give me a call at 803-386-8005 and learn how to put the secrets of the Ship Shapers to work in your business.